I'm Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello and good evening, everybody. Welcome to My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Wednesday and hopefully anywhere you may be at this time. You had a beautiful day. It was wonderful. And again, if you're joining us and uh, watching us live, thank you again for all your support and joining us today on episode 53. And today I'm very excited because our guest today is Dr. Rene Corbet from the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. And I just wanted to add that Dr. Corbet was the very first guest on episode one for My Ed Tech Life. And now he is back. And I'm just really excited for what you're going to share. And again, thank you so much for coming back and joining us. Dr. Corbet, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. And uh, I, I'm very humbled to be uh invited back i mean now you're a rock star so <laughs> oh dr corvey i'm happy to be here oh thank you so much dr corvey so for our viewers and everybody that's watching and people that are listening uh or will be listening to the podcast later dr corvey just please uh, let us know a little bit about uh what your your position you currently hold and maybe your the area of expertise and maybe some of your, your favorite things to work on. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, my name is Rene Corbet, and I am the program coordinator for the Master of Education in Educational Technology, as well as the faculty lead for the doctoral program. In, it's a doctoral specialization in educational technology at UTRGV. Um, my research interests, uh, involve anything having to do with distance education, e-learning, mobile learning, or remote learning nowadays. Um, so it's it's what's it's funny because it's it's stuff that I enjoy researching. So part of what I do in my job, you know, has become part of my hobby. You know, I have several social platforms that I where I curate all kinds of ed tech related news and information and stories. So it, my, my hobbies and pastimes have mixed with my job and I feel like I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do something that I love in a subject that I love. Oh, that's wonderful. And I, I agree with you. Isn't it awesome when, like you said, you know, your work ties into some of the favorite things that you do that end up being your hobbies. And I think that that's what makes it even better because of just that connection to what you all are, what you are already doing. So awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, for our viewers uh, that are joining us, thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, today's topic is the digital age is here. Are you prepared? And we're going to be talking about a specific area of micro learning, uh, which is something that maybe 
Uh, you've heard that word a lot. It's been out there. Uh, so let's go ahead and just get started with that. So Dr. Corbet, I, I know we've been hearing it all, a lot about micro learning lately. Is this something that is a new phenomenon or is this something that maybe was already there and now it's just kind of been put in the spotlight now due to our current situation? That's, that is a good question. Um, the topic of microlearning, it has been getting a lot of buzz lately. Uh, it, I mean, if you look at the trades and magazines and, and journals, you know, they're talking a lot about it. But it's actually been around for a long time. Um, a guy by the name of Theo Hug uh, in 2002 coined the term microlearning uh, in his book, The Didactics of Microlearning. But if you think about it, the concept of breaking learning down into small, digestible, manageable chunks of information, that's been around for forever. You know, it may not have had the name microlearning, but uh, it's been around. I think that the recent proliferation of smartphones and tablets combined with the explosive growth of social media over the past decade has brought the concept of personalized mobile learning uh, through bite-sized learning nuggets or snippets to the forefront. And if you look at some of the biggest innovations uh, of the last 10, 15 years, the iPhone starting to get a little old at 15 years old. But if you think about it, that's pretty much when everything started. Because since then, uh, five years later, the iPad, it's growing venerable at, at 11 years old. But Social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Khan Academy, all of those things came into being uh, when these uh, tools came into being, into existence. And that's, I think, what has accelerated it and made it and brought personalized learning through small nuggets uh, into the forefront today. Yeah. And so one of the things that you said and that you mentioned is, you know, mobile devices and just the accessibility that one has. Now, one of the things that, that one of my favorite areas of study too um, has been, of course, PLNs, uh, you know, Twitter, social media, and I, I like to call them uh, professional learning families. But one thing that I love is the fact that anytime I may need to either find something out or I find a resource, I get on my phone and I can just pretty much go on Twitter and I can find a little nugget, like you said, just a bite-sized chunk of information that I can use, I can store, I can digest, and then I can process and share. And I think that, you know, with the advent of mobile devices, it, it just it just seems so like that change was, wow, like all of a sudden now anybody can learn pretty much anywhere as long as you have access. So that I think yeah. is really, really cool. And if you think about the power of the, the, com the computer that's in your hand, it's, I mean, it's more powerful than the, all of the NASA computers uh, when we went to the moon. So it's, I mean, if, if someone from the 50s were to, you know, come into the future and see the technology that we have, it'd be like, wow. They, I think they wouldn't be able to imagine the things that we can currently do. And now with our, our, our watches that can monitor our, our safety and health and, and 
connect with everything. I mean, we we are ultra connected. Your areas of of interest are augmented reality and virtual reality, and I have a feeling that in the very near future we're going to be seeing some devices coming out that are a little bit more affordable that everybody can have that will allow us to even connect to the world even more as a result of the you know of these devices i i keep waiting or holding out for the uh, apple glasses or whatever they're going to call them because <laughs> i have a feeling that they're going to be really uh go they're going big on augmented reality yeah and then that's something that like you said you know learning is definitely you know changing and the way that the learning is delivered but of course that's something that's very important like we're talking about micro learning you know just little bite-sized nuggets and chunks so i know that you have also recently uh written a book so let me go ahead and uh, share this right here uh dr corbett tell us a little bit about this well um the the book is titled micro learning in the digital age uh the design and delivery of learning in snippets and it's actually a an edited book by myself by dr badrul khan and dr marielena corbet um we came upon the idea of the book uh, it's been it's in 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 our program first of all in the masters of edtech we're continually updating our courses and our topics and projects to reflect the emerging trends in the field and since micro learning has been discussed a lot lately in trade journals and in edtech circles over the past few years we decided that we needed to take a, a closer look at it but when we started the book project about little uh, almost 2 years ago uh we were surprised that there really weren't a lot of resources out there there weren't any textbooks on it So one of the courses that we have we redesigned the the project so that the students would be developing a micro learning object. Um and when we pitched the idea to our publisher Rutledge, um they they were actually very enthusiastic about the topic. Um because they too at around the same time were exploring how they could leverage micro learning in their organization. to help uh improve employee knowledge and skills to enhance productivity so you know it just was at the perfect time they were interested we had the idea and and we pitched it to them they loved the idea and here we are uh almost 2 years later the book is finally getting ready it's it's been submitted to the publisher for for printing and i think it'll be ready to ship by april or may Excellent. So Dr. Corbet tell us a little bit more, you know, I know you kind of told us pretty much micro learning in the digital age, but what wh- what inspired it? You know, I know that it's been a, a something that is 2 years in the making, so uh I mean it doesn't mean that it just started 2 years ago. I'm pretty sure that, you know, the inspiration grew as you started seeing, you know, the education landscape change K through 12, higher ed. what were some of the the thought process of getting together and putting this book together well we've always been uh looking at the the topics and this is one topic that i've been seeing a lot in the in the media a lot it's been discussed a lot uh, when i go to conferences uh i'll see several presentations on it 
and people are talking about it, uh, but basically we didn't really know a lot about what, I mean, we think about the term micro learning and oftentimes all we think is, oh, it's just cutting up a, a, a regular sized lesson into little chunks and that's micro learning. But we were more interested in, in finding out, well, first of all, is this a viable uh, instructional strategy? How and how valid is it as a pedagogy? You know, is it something that is just a gimmicky type of thing that we're seeing a lot in in the trades? You know, uh, a lot of professional development, performance development type of uh, programs, or is it something that that's actually viable? So. For us, when we started to write the book, we had a bunch of questions. And a lot of the questions that we're talking about today is, uh, you know, were the questions that we tried to answer when we, when we put the book together. And what we did is we reached out to authors and professionals <clears throat> in both education and the talent development industries to try to you know, see if we can get an answer to those questions. That's why we re when we reached out to Theo Hug, who is the guy who coined the term, you know, uh, we asked him if he would be gracious enough to to contribute a chapter to the book, and he was. He said, "Of course, I would be very happy to." I I I thought like, "Wow, that's a big fish," because now with him, we could attract other big fish to to contribute to the book, and and it just took off from there. Wow, that's great. So that's wonderful hearing that process. And of course, the ideas coming through. And one thing that you mentioned that maybe we can elaborate a little bit more on was the idea of, okay, micro learning is, like you said, taking that big lesson and then just making little chunks. But there really is a lot more to that. And one of the things that I know learning from being in the program in the master's program and going through through our, our coursework is really understanding how cognitive overload, number one, and how micro learning can actually help, you know, not overload oneself and, uh, you know, just be overwhelmed and maybe just not get all, as much information as needed. So can you just uh, maybe elaborate a little bit more on that little misconception, you know, of taking just something big and okay, let's just go ahead and cut it into little pieces. Well, I mean, that's one of the things, cutting a big lesson into small pieces is not a bad idea in general. You know, you wanna take some students from the known to the unknown, from the simple to the complex. So by breaking it up into small pieces and then trying to make sure that the learners understand each piece before moving on, it's not a bad thing, but Micro learning is a lot more than that. There are a lot of uh, pedagogies that go involved with it. Uh, uh, when talking about instructional design, best practices and multimedia design, there are certain things that you need to pay attention to when you develop it. So it's not just because, not just small, that does, that's not what defines it. As a matter of fact, uh, the one of the, editors of the book, Dr. Badrul Khan, who's been my mentor since graduate school, we're, we're going back 25 years. Uh, he and I have been collaborating on several projects over the years, and uh, he developed the following definition, which I'll quote, it's micro learning 
can be viewed as a single objective, focused, outcome-based, standalone, meaningful, and interactive learning unit delivered in bite-sized snippets. And those snippets could be in a short modular format, either digitally or uh, non-digitally. And examples could be anything from uh, a flashcard, you know, on the on on one end uh, in the non-digital to something that would be delivered on a computer, a tablet, or a mobile phone. So it's kind of a lot of words. <laughs> To say that it's a very, very small and focused uh, piece of learning, bit of learning. Um, there's a, uh, a guy by the name of Berkowitz who in 2017 wrote an article called uh, How to Create Engaging Microlearning Content. And basically what he said is that true microlearning is intentional. It's built on purpose. It's not taking something that was already made and then just chopping it up into little pieces and, and, and serving it up. It has to be designed intentionally. So that I think that kind of sums up what I also believe microlearning to be. It's an intentional design, you know, to, to make it uh, so that it could be effective. Excellent. And I think I like what Omar says here too. Omar Lopez, thank you so much for joining us. Also, uh, Dr. Maria Elena Corbey also joining us and everybody else that's joining us. Feel free to drop in, uh, you know, drop us a hi on the, in the chat or if you have any questions. But Omar says here, it reminds him of scaffolding like we do with our English learners. So it could be something like that. And like you mentioned, it's, it's something that is intentional, that has a purpose. So I think oftentimes you know, certain words, like for example, micro learning, it, it, they, you just go with that. It's like something that's bite-sized, but it, people or teachers or educators will take something that is already pre-made and then they just divide it up. But it's, it's what was already originally there, but what is the purpose? And I think I loved that you emphasized that it should be something that is intentional and something that is purpose or that is for serves a purpose, you know, an objective. And that is something that I think is very important. And that oftentimes, even myself, I'll be honest with you, before, prior to understanding, you know, concepts and uh, instructional design, it was, let's just take this long chapter and, or this long lesson and divide it up. But it wasn't with a end goal of, okay, how is this going to tie together or, cutting it up this way or going in this order going to affect learning where now it's like, okay, I, I need to be a little bit more intentional. And especially now working with teachers definitely have to have a purpose and have an intention there and an objective tied to it. So I think that that's something that I really liked that you mentioned there. Exactly. Um, I was thinking as we were talking about one of the best examples of micro learning that I, that I've seen is, uh, my daughter was taking a college algebra course that was offered online. The way it was taught, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, but the content, the way the content was presented was exceptional. Basically what they did is for each chapter of the book, let's say if they were teaching fractions, you know, so what they did is they provided a little bit of information for the student to read. And then they showed them a short video on how to do how to perform that operation okay 
And then after that, they gave them uh, some practice, scaffolded practice, where uh, first they show you how to do the the uh, the operation, you know, solve solve for this problem, uh, where they show you the whole thing step by step. Then they show you the another problem that started. So they do partially, uh, and then you have to finish it until. And then the next example would be of a problem where you have to solve it completely yourself. Once you go through that process, another short video that explains the next concept. And then they, they repeated that. So when you put those together like that, it actually made for a very, very powerful, I think, uh, learning design that would allow students to always go back to those videos for refreshers if they need, if they wanted to remember how to do something, you know, and that's not really possible when your instructor gave, gives you a two and a half hour lecture with 150 slides and you got to fast forward through it just to get to that one little piece of information that you wanted to, to, you know, to refresh your memory with. Excellent. And I do see here, uh, Dr. Uh, Marielena Corbet here putting microlearning objects are also very often reusable, which makes them a very valuable tool. And I think that's something that uh, educators now are, are finding out as we have a lot of platforms that allow for either recording a lecture, recording maybe a tutorial video, or allowing a student to create something that can allow them to uh, like a learning artifact per se, demonstrate their learning and so on. So I think that that is most definitely a tool. And uh, she just continues here also saying, no need to reinvent the wheel. It can be a standalone or added to an existing lesson or a program. So I completely agree in having that experience uh, and going through the program and doing some of that micro learning. And uh, of course, also the instructional uh, design and instructional units. Uh, Dr. Corbett, I know that we've been talking and, you know, you gave us some examples here, uh, possibly K through 12 uh, and of course, higher ed. But where do you see uh, micro learning for adults? You know, what are what are some examples that you may have or, you know, job force, of course, I mean, we're seeing that the, the future of work. I know that there's platforms like edX, Coursera, you know, can you just uh, talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I think for most adults, the way they learn things these days uh, is through their, their phones, through their mobile devices, you know, you need to learn how to do something. If I wanted to know how to change a tire, you know, I could just look up a video and and go through the steps. Yesterday, I uh, we had a little picnic outside for spring break and we set up this little tent. Setup of the tent was easy. You just popped it open. But to fold it back would require a PhD in, in uh, engineering because I spent about 45 minutes trying to do it. And then Maria Elena finally just said, just look up the video. <laughs> so we found this video of a guy, French guy, couldn't understand a word he said, but uh, he showed me how to do it. And uh, with the first try, we got it. So I think a lot of the learning that we're talking about uh, for adults is going to be in the informal area. But there are also professional development and, you know, someone that wants to just build their skills if they're if they want to maybe go into uh 
you know, a new career, oftentimes you want to learn the things that, that if you want to get into a certain job, you learn those skills and you start building them. So a lot of people are starting to take advantage of programs, you know, uh, and sites like WebEx and Udemy uh, to learn. Those may not necessarily fit the, the, the textbook definition of micro learning, but they are short and they are targeted. So they can be. Yeah. And so one of the things is I know that Google also released some certificates also for, you know, IT, um, cloud design, things of that sort. So like you mentioned, uh, for adults, maybe they're looking for a different career path. You get to go to these websites. And I believe it was on Coursera too that uh, you take the course. And of course, uh, if if you can take the course, you know, for free, but I think it's if you want that certificate validated or, you know, then of course there's a fee for that. And I'm a little familiar with that because I did a course in AR, in AR core. And so it was like the course was free and it was modular, just little bite-sized chunks and so on. But then of course, at the end, it's like, Hey, you've completed this, but if you want this to count or, you know, for as a certification or validated, then of course it was a small fee. I think it was like, $29 for that specific. But one thing that you mentioned, it, it was specialized. It was just targeted for that specific area of interest. So I think that that kind of, you know, can be considered a little bit of micro learning and in that just in time, because now, you know, you know, you have that just in time learning, like you mentioned, where it's, I need to figure how to do something else, pick up the phone, find a YouTube video and, then you're able to do that. And that's something that I, I tell teachers oftentimes, you know, with the tools that we have, it's easy for a student to pause and play a video, but it's not really easy for a student to pause and play a live teacher at times. So, you know, those are some of the things that uh, I let them know, uh, you know, the, the power that we have now with our hands, uh, with our platforms and in our hands also as well through mobile devices. So that's something that's great. So now let's talk a little bit about, now that we've been talking about uh, micro learning, how can one assess, you know, uh, micro learning? How do we assess the learning that took place and see, was this module effective? Was this bite-sized snippet intentional enough? Was it targeted enough? What are some things that we can look for, you know, through the use of micro learning? Well, if we look at it in the formal context, you know, in a classroom, like the, that example of the college algebra course, uh, that would be very easy to assess. You can, you can embed pre-tests and post-tests, you know, into a learning event that consists of several uh, micro-learning objects, or each micro-learning object can have its own little mini assessment at the end. So embedding it into a formal learning uh, activity or assignment would be, I think, relatively easy and straightforward. Where it gets a little challenging and interesting is in the informal learning context, where, you know, as we mentioned in that example of the YouTube video, if I wanted to learn how to change a tire, I'm not going to spend a few more minutes afterwards taking a little test to see if I understood it. I just want to learn the skill. I don't care about a grade. I want to learn the skill. 
Um, according to Renee Dyer, one of our contributors in the book, if the goal of assessment is to track successful completion uh, of a required training, the assessment might be as simple as a knowledge check or with completion tracking. It, it doesn't have to be anything really fancy. If the goal of the assessment is to informally share information, then maybe uh, the assessment might be the number of likes or followers or comments or shares, you know, that, that it receives. You know, there are some, usually when I do a search for something on YouTube, I do pay attention to the, the number of likes and the number, before I, you know, before I go and waste time looking at what's in the video, I look at whether or not people liked it and found it helpful. The comments are very helpful too. It helps me to, to, you know, hone in on the better products that are out there. If the goal is to reduce process inefficiencies, like in a company to increase safety, then you might have to get a little bit more creative by getting other kinds of data, you know, like uh, if let's say cybersecurity, uh, you know, is a really big issue these days. If you want to know if your employees are, you know, being good digital citizens and, you know, in the way they interact via email and social media, especially when they're on the clock and using uh, the company's resources, I mean, you could give them a micro learning lesson every so often, and then uh, you could do some checks to see. Uh, there's one organization I won't mention, but uh, basically what they did or they're doing is they they actually will send their employees some spoof emails to see how many of them fall for it. And then if a lot of them fall for it, they know that their system is not 100% foolproof. There's more work that needs to be done. So there are things that you can do for the informal as well as the formal. And according to Dyer, the micro assessments create opportunities to do something. You know, oftentimes we, we don't think about uh, micro assessments or, or any type of test for that matter as an opportunity to learn something new. We always look at them as ways to check understanding. But Dyer asserts that, you know, micro assessments could be, should be more creative than traditional assessments. They should be more social than social, uh, since social media is particularly well suited for delivering the micro learning. Uh, they should be able to ca capture engagement, satisfaction, and relevance via the number of followers and likes. Uh, they should be able to use traffic and download data to evaluate the popularity of the microlearning object, to provide immediate feedback to the learner, to yield data that's informative and usable uh, to inform future decisions, and to offer robust learning interventions based on the data. So if someone were to not do so well in a little micro, micro learning assessment, you know, it might recommend a follow-up activity or something else to, to help them where they're struggling, where they missed, you know, the point. Excellent. So those are all great points, like you said. I, I really like you know, in that definition, talking about the social aspect of it in, in a microlearning assessment, I mean, I, I, I never even thought about that because I know we hear sometimes as educators, you know, either K through 12 or in any, you know, the connotation of assessment is, 
it's going to be A, B, C, D and it, multiple choice or so on. And, and it's just a straightforward assessment where you either get either a digital component, a digital form that you either just bubble in, type something out, or it's going to be a piece of paper. But that social aspect is very interesting on that. Is there a way that maybe you can just elaborate a little bit more on that component? Because that's definitely something that piqued my interest right now. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, if you think about it, why do tests have to be scary? You know, why do they have to be always high stakes? You know, if we created an environment where people could experiment and the, the cost of failure wasn't so bad, you know, if you created an environment in the classroom where students could be rewarded for taking risks, you know, and all of that could be done through a social platform. You know, in, in an organization, you could set up a social platform where you set up a challenge or it, instead of calling it a test, call it a challenge, you know, and give, give the students or the learners the resources and say, have at it, go find it. The perfect example for me uh, is if you, those of you that remember the 1980s movie War Games, there was a guy who uh, wanted to play a video game. So he basically had to learn everything there was about the person who created it to see if he could gain access, you know, create, find his password to get into play the, the game. Unfortunately, he didn't realize that it was at the time they were experimenting with like artificial intelligence and, and war game scenarios. And the game that he thought he was playing, you know, turned out to be a scenario that if it, if it ever happened, you know, would have launched World War III. But what left me so impressed about that is how much that guy was studying, doing research to try to find an answer to a question that he had a desire to learn, you know, why can't we make all learning like that? Where it's where instead of making it a test, make it a challenge and say, I dare you to, to <laughs> find the answer to this. Here are the resources, have at it. I mean, if we did something like that, I think that learning would be more fun. And you know, if you fail, it's not like you failed the course because we learn a lot from our mistakes too. But unfortunately, there's no reward for that learning. It's all only if you can pass the test. Exactly. And, th and that's very interesting that you said that, you know, it's only if you if you pass the test. Now, one thing that I liked is, you know, going through your program. Uh, th what I loved is that the pretty much our, our final project was our learning portfolio. So as we went through our lessons and, you know, you you assigned things videos, you know, things dealing with multimedia, uh, instructional units, all that good stuff and, and all that learning, you know, it, it was great that you can just take that and you gave us free reign and kind of giving us choice and saying, hey, this is your, this is your project. Here is the task. And, and you allowed us to kind of take those risks and really get out of our comfort zone where even as an educator, you know, for you know, going on 11 years in the classroom and now, you know, four years now in, in instructional, on the instructional side, it, you still kind of feel like, wow, but this is the way it's, it's always been done. Like there's like a structure, but then coming into the program, I think that was one of the things that I liked that it was, here is the scenario, go out and figure this out. Let's solve this problem. 
but we're putting it in your hands. And it was that, wow, like we're taking a risk here. And it was kind of a different mindset and that change in mindset of getting out of the comfort zone that I really appreciate it, which now has helped me just, hey, you know, let's let's just shoot for the moon and then we can kind of work our way down to find a solution. But it, it's that risk taking is something that is is great. There is a lot of learning that does happen from that because there is some failure that happens. And one of the things that actually I was uh, having a, a conversation with a friend of mine on social media that we were talking about failure, you know, and I know people always use, they may use the acronym, like, you know, first attempt in learning. Uh, people may say, you know, fail forward. You know, yeah, yesterday I was on a podcast saying, you know, I rang the fail bell. But mm. the learning that comes from that, you know, is something that is amazing and the risk taking. And I think that really does help you internalize more of what you were doing. And so I really enjoy this that you mentioned, you know, being able to take that risk and maybe not necessarily just say this is a test, but this is a challenge. You get a choice as to how you're going to submit that learning artifact. And I think that 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 definitely captures my attention. Like right now, I'm like, hey, I'm, I, I want to take an assessment like that right now, you know, so that definitely um, makes it fun there. So Dr. Corbet, now to, to kind of round round out the, the conversation here, what do you see is the future of, of micro learning? Um, I, I've been thinking about it myself and I, and as I, as I thought about it, I turned to some of the, the contributors to our book that had some really good ideas that I hadn't thought about. Uh, Hall and Hamilton are two contributors to our book and they, uh, they came up with some interesting concepts that, uh, Number one, there's going to be an emphasis, and you've, we've already mentioned it this evening, about instead of on earning degrees, developing skills. And I think what Google is doing and several other companies, universities better wake up to it because they, I mean, it's an opportunity. It's a challenge because they are coming into our space. Um, and there are companies that will say, you know what, if you go and get certified, go into that program and get certified, we will hire you. You don't need to have a college degree. So for universities, I think that we, we need to be watchful of that and let's be players in that, in that game, in that area. And what if we could develop something where we, to compete with those companies like Google that are doing this, um, say, okay, we'll offer the same learning uh, opportunities. And if you want to, you can go ahead and get the, the skills and just pay for the certificate. Or what if you can take that and turn it into a master's degree, you know, and build, they're called stackable degrees. And there are uh, universities that are looking at stackable degrees where you build competencies, you know, uh, what Google's doing is doing it in the informal professional learning development space. The challenge would be how to give college credit for that. And there have been universities that have experimented with it in terms of uh, allowing college credit for MOOCs, which are the massive open online courses. But uh, it's, it's, it's going to require a change of mindset. I remember when I pitched it to one of my supervisors not long ago, 
they said, okay, so you, you want to give away a course for free? Is that what I understand? What's in it for us? <laughs> you know, and I said, you give them one, they come for the other four, you know, for the other three. And uh, because they can uh, apply it towards uh, a degree, they get the best of both worlds. So I think that's one big thing that we need to be mindful of. Also, they, they talked about instead of a push paradigm where learning, uh, where content is assigned to you, it's a pull paradigm where learners and workers seek the content that they need and want. And I thought that was a very, very good uh, idea. And then taking, leveraging the internet of things, you know, devices like Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, uh, for time and place independent learning. Oftentimes, you know, if I'm in the kitchen washing dishes, you know, and I want to learn how to do something while I'm washing, I'll ask Alexa to play a video on this topic, you know, and, and so I'm learning while I'm right there on the spot. I think that some, some things that are very important that they mentioned uh, is that learning in the future will adapt to the learner instead of the other way around, instead of the learner having to adapt to the learning. It's going to be a lot more responsive, which means we're talking about integrating AI into it, artificial intelligence. And then they talk about the idea or notion of nano learning, which is a form of micro learning that takes place in less than a minute, but it's ongoing all the time. You know, so we're always learning, you know, it's just uh, concepts as they need. You know, I think of the matrix, do you know how to fly a helicopter? Not yet. And then they go, okay, let's go. You know, imagine that kind of learning uh, all the time, you know? So those are some of the things that, that uh, Hall and, uh, and Hamilton, you know, recommended. And I, I, I can see those things. My personal opinion about microlearning and, and its future is that it's become the normal way that people consume content and teach themselves new things. It's already there. I mean, we through our phones and mobile devices, it's already there. So it's just a matter of time before it becomes more embedded into traditional education. But I think that uh, even this transition to online and remote learning uh, due to the pandemic is hastening its adoption. I think it's creating opportunities. And if, if we're watchful where we see those opportunities, we should seize upon them and try to make, you know, do something with them. So as you said, we won't go back to the status quo from a year ago, you know? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, like you said, like definitely we, we don't want to just simply just, okay, Let's turn off the switch. Everything is is good now, you know, because episode one, when we were there, it's kind of we were talking about like, hey, let, let's flip the switch. And now everybody's online. And now that maybe some sense of like normalcy comes back and schools are opening up, it's kind of like, OK, let's turn off the switch and let's go back to the way things were. And uh, I hope let's that never let that happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's never let that happen. So Dr. Corbet, thank you so much for being here. And again, let us know, can you please, uh, you know, when is your book supposed to be due out? It should come out in late April, early May. You can already uh, pre-order it on Amazon. Uh, so it'll, it'll be out soon. 
Perfect. So it is micro learning in the digital age. So thank you so much. And Dr. Corbet, I have been sharing your uh, Twitter account here uh, in our chat. So that way, anybody that watches the video later uh, can follow you. Uh, what what other social media platforms are you active on? You can go ahead and share and maybe also share a little bit about the, the master's program uh, there at sure. uh, UTRGV. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at I'm Future Ready. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a Facebook page for the EdTech program. Um, and there are a bunch of others that I can't even think of right now. <laughs> um, the program is offered fully online. Uh, it's an accelerated program. So the courses are about seven weeks long. And uh, you can earn your entire master's degree in as little as 10 months, uh, taking two courses per module, which is perfectly uh, manageable for working adults. 100% of our students are working adults. You know, they've got family and work responsibilities, and yet they can comfortably handle two courses per, per seven-week module. So, uh, and in addition to earning the master's degree, students have an opportunity of earning one or more graduate certificates. We've got an e-learning certificate for those who wanna learn how to teach online. We've got an online instructional design certificate for those who would like to be instructional designers to help others design content for online. And we've got a technology leadership certificate that it, it can apply to anyone that uh, is going to be in a leadership position that has to make decisions about technology implementations. Um, so, and we're always looking to refine and improve our program. So, you know, as we see emerging trends, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that we're on the bleeding edge because sometimes some of those bleeding edge things turn out to be fads but we, we do look at them, and once we see that, it, that there's something to it, you know, that we are always adapting and, and improving. For example, by re redoing one of the courses so that uh, students will learn how to create effective micro-learning objects. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Corbet. It has been a pleasure and always an honor just to, to have one of my former professors, a mentor, uh, mm -hmm. to be here on the show and just really excited about what you and uh, Dr. Maria Elena and, uh, you know, Dr. Right here, I'm sorry, I, Dr. Badrul Khan. I, sometimes I have, uh, you know, trouble pronouncing the name, but thank you so much for everything that you do and just for always being very accessible. And I did put the link into the EdTech program. So if there's anybody there, uh, anybody that's watching or going to rewatch this, or I will put it in the show notes for the podcast as well, just in case if it piqued your curiosity, like, you know, talking about not only the master's program, but the e-learning certificates that are offered. And of course, you know, being uh, a graduate of the program, it was really cool to do the seven week modules. And then on top of that, get the master's, the e-learning certificate and the technology leadership certificate. It, it, I mean, it was just phenomenal, just all together in one package. So definitely a great program. Check them out. And if you have any questions, feel free to either reach out to me. You can definitely reach out to Dr. Corbet, as he said, at I Am Future Ready on Twitter, and they'll gladly answer any of your questions. Or you can contact them through the utrgv.edu forward slash edtech page, and they'll be more than happy to get back to you. And again, Dr. Corbet, you were our 
first guest on our mm. very first show uh, back in April 10th when this whole thing started. And now you're back here for show number 53. I never thought that I'd be going on this long. And again, it's always an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And our audience members, thank you, Omar. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Dr. Corb. I mean, yeah, Dr. Marielena Corbe also as well that was here and all our viewers and anybody that's going to rewatch the show. Thank you so much. Just wanted to let you know, I am taking a little break, two weeks off. We're going to come back strong in April. I just, you know, needed some time to recharge the batteries and all that good stuff. But we are ready and set to go for April. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, just go to our webpage at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, and go to the contact me or contact us. And go ahead and just submit your name and let us know what it is that you'd like to talk about. I'll gladly get back to you and we can schedule a show. I mean, it's it's it, it's a great platform to share your passion, share your inspiration, and share the wonderful things that you're working on. Just like uh, Dr. Corbet was here sharing on his passion for microlearning, the edtech world, and you know all the 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 great things that they are doing in the program. So again, we will see you guys April 3rd. All right. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And as always, until next time, stay techie, my friends. <laughs>